Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. Uh, this is episode 120. No, I'm Dan. 119. 119. I'm sorry, dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. 119. You should have did the intro. You definitely shouldn't have left it to my tired ass. Episode 119. I'm Dan. I'm Brentley. That's Brentley. And we have been gone for a while. Sorry, guys. Uh, a lot of stuff's going on with us. I'm Life about, happens. It's fine. I'm about to move again. Life happens. Blah, blah, blah. Um, with all of that said, anyone who's here watching, we appreciate you for still being here despite our lack of content. And we are joined by another awesome guest today, a friend like, of ours. Like, comment, subscribe, do all those yes. things. Like, comment, subscribe. Um, we're joined by Brian, aka the Front Porch Conservative. Welcome, Brian. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be on your channel as always. Anytime I get a chance to hang out with you two scoundrels, is always up for adventure. Uh, we, Chris Southern voice. <laughs> yes, we love your accent, Brian. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we're, we're thank big you. Fans. And you're right. You've been on a few of our live streams already, and we love having you on. We always appreciate your insights into the conversations. But we never actually did like a formal episode with you focused on you. You know, I feel like you come in and you're part of these bigger conversations, but we wanted to do an episode to kind of highlight the front porch conservative. So well, thank you. That's very That's gracious of you. Um, with that said, let's start with the backstory stuff because I want to get some of that here on camera. So, where are you? Where are you from, Brian? Um, where do you hail from? Your upbringing and all of that, and maybe we'll go into like some of your political journey too. And then, what led you to doing political social commentary content creation? Well, my backstory is probably like most people. Uh, well, except for where I come from, uh, I hail from the state of West Virginia. And yes, for those of you who are watching, there is something different than it's not Western Virginia. <laughs> it's the state of West Virginia. We've been our own thing since 1863. OK, um, you wouldn't believe the number of people over the years. Oh, you're from Western. Vir no, I'm not Western, from Western Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> it's like, guys, it's, it's a separate state. Virginia no. is its own state. <laughs> Don't make me smack you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I grew up with two wonderful parents. One of them is still with me. One of them has been gone now for almost 23 years. Very hardworking, blue-collar background. They were people that came out of the country. They are were part of the silent generation um, that, you know, no, they did not participate militarily in World War II, but they were born in the 1930s. They grew up hard scrabble. They knew what hard times were. They lived out in the country. My dad grew up on a farm and worked the fields until he lied about his age. Yes, he lied about his age to get off the farm and get his very first job. He worked with heavy machinery. Hmm. And when he he did that for quite some time, then finally went on to work for a local um, alloys plant here in the area, retired from there. My mom, um, you could probably the best way to describe her job in life is bookkeeping and customer service. And worked until she was in her late 70s because she liked doing it. Um, they were both blue collar. They wanted to make sure that I got a really good education. They put me through private school of their own dime and on their own money. And went on to college in Virginia. Went on to get my master's at University of Illinois. Moved back to West Virginia in 2000 when my dad wasn't doing real well. And then a few months later, he passed away. Been here ever since. Um... As far as what got me into social media content creation, well, there are three people, aside from the two gentlemen here, of course, uh, that I can 
that you folks out there in internet land can blame for how bad I am because it's all their fault. Um, Gary Beekler, a.k.a. Nerdrotic, the legendary Chrissy Mayer, uh, wonderful stand-up comedian, just daggone cool chick. And Eric July, a.k.a. Young Rippa, and all of them, each of them in their own way, were sending out the message, hey, look, now is the time for people to find their own voice and get involved in how and what. I mean, I love the way that Eric July puts it. Mm. Get in where you fit in. And for me, it was I've loved politics since I was 16, 17 years old. You know, my high school teachers were amazed at the ridiculously nerdy sort of memory that I'd have because somebody would rattle off a question. and I'd be like, oh, it's this guy. They'd be like, how do you know this? Um, <laughs> nerd. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> po poly nerd is what you can call me. Um, poly sci nerd. And, um, and yeah, I figured, well, you know, if I'm going to start a channel, you know, do what you know. And for me, that's politics and campaigns and, you know, background I bring to it. Um, it's kind of weird because you're so busy building something like this. You never really take the time to self-analyze. But in those moments I do. I realized that I'm a really interesting heritage of what I came out of. Cause when I was growing up, it was talk radio. It was Rush Limbaugh, yeah. it was G Gordon Liddy. It was Michael Savage. It was all these really great guys and ladies on you know, talk radio. And a lot of what I do in terms of style in some ways is modeled after them, except I'm doing it over the internet. Whereas they were just doing it from behind a microphone like mm -hmm. me, but on radio different mediums but with all kinds of potential to reach all kinds of people so i'm loving the experience i've been doing this now at the end of december it'll be officially nine months and my channels have grown they're still growing 2024 could wind up being amazing and i'm having a load of fun and i've met you guys i've met a whole bunch of other people and i'm loving it and here for it and down for the ridiculousness <laughs> i love that you brought up radio uh because that really is the the ancestor of podcasting yeah that's that's where this started you know i had a little bit of radio experience myself i don't know if i even ever mentioned this on the show but when i was an undergrad at kane university in uh, union county new jersey i did a little bit of radio there on campus for a bit my first or i think it was my second semester uh my friend and i would just dj we would go on the air and we would play music and then we would shoot the shit and just talk like talk radio old school thing but then playing music in in, in between um, it was just something I did for fun. I didn't, I, I never thought I was going to be a podcaster or this sort of thing that wasn't in my plan at all, but it's funny to look back at it now because it's like that sort of thing was already prepping me for this, you know, for doing mm -hmm. this kind of thing. So just funny. Um, I wanted to ask about the origin of the name. I think it's always fun to, to find out why people name things the things they do. We've talked about why we chose Dangerous Rhetoric a few times, but I want to know, where did you come up with Front Porch Conservative? Uh, first of all, why the Front Porch? <laughs> what does that mean to you, I guess, symbolically? And then conservative, what does being a conservative mean to you when you say conservative? What do you, what do you mean by that? I'll answer those in reverse order. The conservative more or less reflects background, education, and everything else. If if you ask me, you know, philosophically what I believe and why I believe it, I would argue it's based on any number of different things, Judeo-Christian principle, practical political experience, political writing, everything else. So that's the mm -hmm. conservative side of it. 
The front porch is an homage to my late uncle, my mother's brother. And there's a story behind this. As you might expect, I'm from the South. Everything's got a story behind it. <laughs> um, my uncle, toward the end of his life, more or less became a shut-in because of various problems he had. Well, if you fellas ever get down in my neck of the woods, you're going to find out one thing about people from West Virginia off the bat. We will never let anyone starve to the detriment of our waistlines, but you will never starve. So consequently, he's family and we're Southern. That means we're constantly taking him food. So usually on the weekends, after I might drop my mom off at her job, what she worked, I would take some food uh, over to him and we'd sit around, and we'd shoot, shoot the bull. Well, my uncle, much like my dad, being that they grew up in the country, always had interesting ways of looking at life. If nothing else, they had different and interesting expressions for how to explain their philosophy of life. So one day my uncle looks at me and he says, Big Gun, which was his nickname for me. He said, yeah, Big Gun. Big Gun, if you, he said, don't waste your money on movies and don't bother watching television. If you really want to be entertained, just go sit on your front porch and watch what walks down the sidewalk or drives by in a car. And you'll either laugh, cry, or do both at the same time because you will not be able to understand what you have just looked at. And you know what? The older I get, the more I agree with him. There is and, nothing like now, watching. Take that concept and like expand it a thousandfold, and that's Manhattan looking out oh. your window in Manhattan. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't even begin. I've got a, I got an interesting Manhattan story, if you guys want to hear it. Um, yes, totally. Back in 2001, my family and I took what we commonly call a nose-of-the-car vacation. Translation, we had no idea where we were going. We're just driving around wherever the nose of the car is pointed. That's the general direction we're headed. <laughs> I've, never heard, I've never heard that term before. Yeah, nose-of-the-car vacation. And we started off in West Virginia, wound up going down to Virginia Beach, wound our way to Williamsburg, went up I-95, and we wound up in Philadelphia. And we saw all the sights, which is cool. So the next day, we're like, okay, cool. We're in this neck of the woods. Let's go see the Statue of Liberty. That's like two hours up the road. We're thinking, this is cool. So usually with these trips, everybody serves a certain function. My brother-in-law, who has driven on probably every road in West Virginia imaginable and some that don't have asphalt under them, <laughs> he does all the driving. I do the navigating. My sister and my mother-in-law and, and my mom are in one seat behind us telling us how we're doing everything wrong. Hmm. And my, my sister's children are in the back just kind of like hanging out, whatever. So we leave Philadelphia at about... Two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm looking at the time and I'm looking at the map and I'm thinking about what I know about New York City. And I said, okay, look, here's the plan. I said, we're going to overnight in Hoboken, New Jersey, because it's, it's two o'clock in the afternoon now. We'll get up the next morning. We'll cross over. Let's take find our way to the Staten Island Ferry. We'll cross over, see the statue, come back. We'll go out the top through the Bronx. My sister, as she is occasionally wont to do, overrode my decision and said, no, 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 we're going to see the Statue of Liberty tonight. I said, Gina, look at the time. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. It's going to take us two hours to get to New York City proper. 
That is rush hour traffic. Are you out of your mind? I said, just trust your brother on this one. Do it my way. No, no, no. We're doing it tonight. Like, fine. So, you know, so not being able to read a map pretty well, I've always been able to, you know, navigate my way from one place to another. Yeah, friends of mine hear that statement. They're going to be like, oh, he's lying. <laughs> um, They're also going to be like, wait, this guy is like, ancient. What? Be like, what's a map? Map? Atlas? Map. What is this thing of which you speak? So, you know, I'm looking at the map and I'm trying to find a road sign that says, you know, to ferry to the Statue of Liberty. Well, all of a sudden there's this big bridge in front of us. My brother-in-law is like, hey, Brian. What's that bridge up ahead? Look at the look at the map. Look at the bridge. Look at the map. Look at, oh, that's the Verrazano Bridge. We're going to Brooklyn. He's like, Brooklyn. So here we go over the Verrazano. <laughs> and we're trying to find an exit to get off to get our bearings or whatever. So we finally do. And there's this Sunoco gas station over here. Like, Ronnie, pull in. There's a couple of guys standing there. I'll ask him for directions and we'll get this thing straightened out. He's like, okay, cool. So he pulls in these two guys. Now, now you picture this. They've got their back turned to us. Okay. So I roll down my window and I'm like, excuse me, gentlemen, um, we're not from here. Would you be able to direct us to um, a place where we could get on the ferry to go see the Statue of Liberty? They turn around. Neither one of them, one of them is wearing a, tur uh, a, a Sikh turban. And the other one, I don't know what his nationality is. And the next thing I hear coming out of the mouth is, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks okay. a lot. Roll up the window. My brother-in-law starts to drive off. And as soon as I've got the window up, I look at him and go, we are so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, in, in, you know, so here comes the Astro minivan across the Brooklyn Bridge. We're now headed for Manhattan. Yes, the 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 clampets have arrived. Okay, so we take this exit. We come off the Brooklyn Bridge. We're now going down the east side of Manhattan. You know, and there's the USS Intrepid, and there's all these great you know skyscrapers. And here we are. It's a beautiful July day. It's awesome. And and my brother-in-law. Now keep in mind, my brother-in-law has driven in every condition on every road under with every kind of vehicle beneath him imaginable. He got more of an education about how New Yorkers drive inside of a half an hour being in Manhattan than he'd had in 40 years of driving on every road in America. I believe it. He's pointing out. I mean, guys were like, here's one bumper. Here's the back bumper. Here's the front bumper of another car. And another guy's trying to edge right in between them. <laughs> and my brother-in-law's yelling, look at that. Look at that. I'm like, yes, Ronnie, keep your eyes on the road, please. <laughs> so we're going down the east side of Manhattan. And I look up and there are the Twin Towers. It was July 11th, 2001. Wow. Two months to the day. That's crazy, dude. So finally, we get down to the tip end of Manhattan. And I said, Ronnie, I said, gang, this is not working. What do you want to do? My sister's like, Brian, get us out of here. I'm like, okay, Ronnie, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up the west side of Manhattan. We're going to cross over on 50th. We're going to go out through the Bronx and out the top. We'll go to Connecticut. Okay. So here comes 50th Street. Now, you got to picture what's happening next. Here's my brother-in-law driving. Here's me on the other side of him. Ronnie, turn right. Right? Yeah. Where? Turn right. Yeah. Where am I turning right? Right here. Where am I? Turn right now! <laughs> on two wheels, we go around this corner. <laughs> and finally, when all four wheels come back on the ground, we're now on 50th Street and headed for, like, you know, Rockefeller Plaza and Radio City Music Hall. And, 
And my oldest nephew had the biggest scare of his life because right, right near where Brent and I used to live, by the way. That's what I thought. I've heard you guys describe where you were at uh, over we, various we, parts. We were on 57th Street. West okay. 57th Street. Yeah. Okay. So, and we're passing um, the Gridiron Club. That's it, where they have the Heisman ceremony. And there's a New Yorker, for whatever reason, he has unzipped his pants and is demonstrating how much he loves New York City by, you know, um, relieving himself on the sidewalk. My oldest nephew is like, ah, these crazy people, I'll never come back here again. Oh, be quiet, Kevin. Get a hold of yourself. So <laughs> I'm laughing because, like, stuff like that does not phase people like us. Oh, it's so regular. Yeah, you could definitely tell we were from out of town. So yeah. anyway. So we go across 50th Street, we get uh, out the top through the Bronx and then out. And my brother-in-law, I think his nerves were so shot. We we found a, a motel in Connecticut and ordered a pizza and he ate and just was sick as a dog till the <laughs> next morning. That's how bad his nerves were shot. <laughs> so that's our that's our driving experience in Manhattan. So there you go. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I've driven box trucks in Manhattan. I've driven expensive cars. I've driven bicycles. <laughs> it is not a pleasant It's not for the experience. faint of heart. <laughs> no. Yeah. no. And, and, when, and when it comes to people watching, it really is like the ultimate place for that. It really is. Like you you will see well, any such a volume. You'll see people from anywhere yeah. and everywhere in the entire world. And it really is one of the magical aspects of a place like that. Absolutely. You can walk down the street and hear like five, six, seven different languages in a few minutes. Sometimes. Wow. So, and yeah, you'll see all the characters, all the, all the weirdest shit, you know, I'll never forget. I saw this wrinkly old guy in a pink bikini scootering down the sidewalk in the middle of the summer with giant pink glasses on quite a sight. We had a regular old neighborhood faggot who would regularly be seen pushing around his little teacup terriers in like a- I remember that guy. I have a picture somewhere on one of my like old, <laughs> I think on this computer probably somewhere. I have a picture of that guy and his freaking dogs. Lord he, have he, he, mercy. Four teacup terriers in a little- In a baby carriage in a stroller, yeah. Crazy, crazy shit. You know, they got like little pink, like they're all like matching outfits. They have these little pink things, and they match the pink stroller. It's ridiculous. Remember the old guy who used to walk around in the sailor's cap? He disappeared. Uh, no, Whoa, yeah, what he's still there. He's still there. I have the stroller guy with the little dogs. I, yeah, I, not I him. Not after him. COVID. But yeah, people watching is like that is the place. Go to Manhattan. Now, I, I have to say, I am extremely envious of New Yorkers because. You guys live in one of the most amazing cities on earth, and I'm uh, we, ain't, we ain't there anymore. Live, well, uh, you I'm did live. You did live in one of the no most mas, amazing cities no on earth. No and, never again, probably. Never again. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I've often said if I had the time and the money, I could spend a solid three, four weeks in New York City just walking around exploring the place. If, if I if it. I were like super rich, sure, it'd be nice to have a place there to go to. But living there full time, yeah, it's not for me. Yeah, I lived there yeah. for like fifteen years. Fifteen years. <laughs> wow. So what? Well, one year in Florida, give or take. I mean, what draws anyone to New York? I got a job there. That was the original draw opportunities that's why anyone goes to new york is they're going there for the opportunities they're hoping for opportunities at least whether it's jobs or networking or any of that but also there's just a lot of great things to do there so yeah, there, there are certainly benefits huh? 
you know, as expensive as it is, I could literally just, you know, walk out the door and see some of the most amazing forms of music and entertainment and things like mm. that in the world. So there are benefits. I really wish I got into stand up comedy way sooner than I did. I didn't even well, think about it until after the pandemic. Yeah, that yes, that's crazy. the thing. It's like once the lockdowns happened, like, you were yeah, you were kind of screwed on that front. Messing it was fun though. I did. I like went up for like five, six times. So much fun. So much fun. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get back to Brian. I, I, Brian. Wanted to, I wanted to touch a bit more on the concept of conservatism. I thought your answer was interesting, but I want to know a little more. Like, I love the story. Like when you call yourself a conservative, you're you're saying that doesn't mean you're an evil MAGA Nazi who is a white supremacist <laughs> and and wants an ethnically pure America. Is that what you're trying to conserve, Brian? Huh? <laughs> Well, I, I will refrain from giving you a Hitler salute right now just to make sure that we don't scare everybody off. Um, but no, I do not want an ethnocentric, you know, hive mind society where everybody thinks with the with the right side of their brain. No, no. Conser oh, so you're not trying to conserve whiteness in America, Brian? No, no, we're not going to conserve whiteness. We don't need what to conserve whiteness. When, the when we, things when we, that when work. When we throw out all the blacks and the Mexicans and the Hispanics and everybody else, we're going to be perfectly fine. We don't need to conserve a thing. <laughs> here, you know? oh They're going to cut that clip out. That's the clip they're cutting. That's the clip, right? It's a joke. Just kidding. Oh, my God. I, I like Karen, it's a joke. Karen, it's a joke. I like by your answer. Way, by the way, right. I have a question for you, gentlemen, since you've been doing this longer than I have. What is the male equivalent of a Karen? Is it a Joey? I mean, what the heck do you call a, a male liberal? That's a good question. I don't know. You know, I have a Ross. I mean, what do you, I mean, we're being friendly here. So I mean, you know, do we call him a Ross? Do we call him a, a Joey? What do we, do we call him? It's a I don't question. Know. I don't think we've actually, there's, there's not like an official answer. They just say male Karen. Well, after, well, after Basil gets the 19th amendment, you know, repealed and we get back to all male <laughs> voting, put him on that job to, have, to, job. to figure out what the heck we're going to call, um, what the heck we're going to call male Karen. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to try to get this out uh, tomorrow, okay. and we're going to do a Spaces on Sunday night. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Oh, you mean on Twitter? On, yeah, on, we don't. On X. On X. No, X. I refuse to call it X. I Why? It. I, it's I not. Twitter was Jack Dorsey's creation. This is Elon's. It's, it's always going to be Twitter to me. No. Yeah, it's like saying the art, the, the artist formerly known as Prince. Why don't right. I just call him Prince and be done with it? I mean, yeah, you know, no. oh, we, um, we can we can say platform, the, the platform app. previously known yeah. as Twitter. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. The social right, media the, platform previously. So known as it's Twitter. interesting when I do coverage when I write articles about it. it the media covers it in different ways. They say things like the platform previously known as Twitter, yeah. or the way that I do it is I'll just put X and then in the in. Uh, parentheses behind it. I'll just put Twitter. <laughs> I just not Twitter anymore. Like that. I, I go on the editor's recommendations and I call it Twitter. And if I have to specify that the name was changed, that's what I do. I specify it there. There you go. Well, to to, to answer your question, uh, or I think where you're going with it, what is what is conservative, or how do I define what it is for me? And part of this comes out of religious background and part of it comes out of of education um i believe that there is a god i believe that he has created the universe i believe man is part of his creation as such and as he is the supreme being of the universe there's certain guiding principles he'd like to see his creation operate under 
Those guiding principles have more or less informed human behavior for roughly 6,000 years of recorded human history. Now, we take a little bit of what we are in the Judeo-Christian tradition from Greek philosophy, from Roman philosophy, from the church, from the Bible, from everything else, and it's sort of formed an amalgamation you know, of basic principles. For example, human life is sacred. We don't take it unless there's justifiable reason. We respect the rights of property. What you have is yours, what I have is mine, and the only way I can take something of yours is if you surrender it to me under a certain set of circumstances. We don't, uh, we don't covet, we don't lie, we don't do any number of different things. And generally speaking, when these principles are applied and applied, society is generally happy. Now, what makes American conservatism a little bit different is that 200 or so years ago, our founding fathers kind of figured out, okay, this is what we want of our government. Now, you guys, you get to do this and everything else past that. Everybody else over here gets to do it. As long as everybody respects the boundary, everybody's happy. And for by and large, for 200 plus years, it's worked, except for the occasional encroachments on liberty, which unfortunately we're experiencing a whole lot more of those these days. But that's generally what conservatism is to me. And it's not necessarily, I will say that my thinking on some issues has evolved over time. I'm not going to sit here and say I was, you know, I came out of my dad's back, backside ideologically the way that I am. You know, my thinking has evolved on some things you know, over time to the point that I'm like, okay. 25 years ago, I would have believed differently on this, but knowing now what I know, yeah, I need to modify this position. So that's sort of where I'm at right now. Hmm. Yeah, I liked, um, Brent, you posted a tweet not that long ago about conservatism. And I do like what you said. You said it was about conserving what works. What's mm -hmm. functional, right? And that you're liberal in the sense of, you know, there's room for innovation and change. But yeah. as long as we're, for the most part, conserving what works, I think that's a, that's a, I kind of, I guess I define myself along those lines as well. But um, based on what you said, Brian, it sounds like those principles you're talking about, you adamantly believe those principles work. And the reason society has, uh, our society, American society has lasted this long is because of those principles and Absolutely. not when we go against those principles. So you want to conserve those principles. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for example, um, and, and today it's kind of funny because there's an interesting alliance, uh, or maybe it's to borrow from Tolkien, the last alliance of conservatives of which I would still call myself one libertarians, civil libertarians, um, and, and classical liberals, of which I'd even call myself one of those if you get right down to it, well, depending on what the issue is. Beyond that, too, like you mentioned Eric July earlier, and he's mm -hmm. an anarcho-capitalist, I think yeah. he identifies as. An so anarcho-capitalist. You're right. There is definitely this sort of coalition forming, or at least we'll call it like a loosely knit alliance mm -hmm. between just political dissidents who don't conform to whatever the establishment, like, democratic line of thinking is. Yeah, and, and and it's it's a fascinating thing to watch because now, I mean, and I've said this on more than one occasion, the ideological constructs that I understood when I was growing up now no longer apply. Hmm. I mean, and by that I mean this. If you'd asked me at 18 years old, what's a Democrat? I'd go, evil. 
<laughs> um, what's a what's a Republican? Oh, a Republican's a good guy. And as time has gone on, and with life experience and everything I've seen, I've come to the conclusion: this is no longer about political labels. It's no longer about political ideology. It's not even about left and right. the The battle line that's being drawn is basically one of you're either in one of two camps. You're either on the side of what I call hive mind techno fascism, <laughs> or you're on the side of classical liberty. Now, techno fascism is, I'll go, go ahead and define that. Techno fascism to me is an evil amalgamation of two things technological oligarchs. You know, be it Zuckerberg or Dorsey when he was running Twitter, etc. Klaus Schwab. Yeah. And there's that. And fascist statism. In other words, we're going to use technology to control what people do vis-a-vis -vis through the state. Not pure communism. Different thing. But we've definitely got techno-fascism going on. On the other side of that is classical liberty and freedom which makes for a fascinating alliance of individuals who never thought they'd ever get together. That to me is the more funny part about it. I, I liken folks like us um, and many others who have walked different paths to get to what I call the spot. From one side, you've got people like the Steve Bannons, the Peter Navarros, the Rudy Giuliani's, you know, from the geopolitical and economic sphere, they've come to the spot. You've got free speech advocates like Chrissy Mayer and Anthony Cumia and Gina Biscani and others. They've come to the spot. You've got people from the walkaway movement like uh, Carrie Smith, Brandon Strack, uh, Mikey Harlow. Mm -hmm. They've all come to the spot. You've got this. I mean, you've got Moms for Liberty. You've got, you know, you know, LGBTQ folks who come to the spot and everybody's looking at each other going. I know why I'm here. What the hell are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> the other person looks back and goes, you know, I was about to ask you the same damn thing. But everybody's realizing the more they start talking to each other, you know, there's more that we agree on than we ever disagreed on. Why yeah. didn't we do this sooner? And part of it is the system, if I may use that term loosely, has kept everybody so divided and so fighting each other, nobody stopped long enough to ask the question, hey, do we actually agree on things or should I just automatically hate you? And that's more or less where we are. You yeah. know, I think, I think the Alliance is one based. I'm going to take it further and say that it's the people who have some form of conscience and values. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there's the people who don't have any conscience or any it's values. Team humanity and team humanity against team psychopath. Brent, I'm yeah. going to read your actual quote, your tweet <laughs> that I mentioned earlier. I'm going to read it because it does have that last part and it. That's important. You said, <laughs> you said, I'm a conservative in that I want to keep things that work. I'm liberal in that there is room for improvement. I'm dead ass certain that psychopaths rule the world, regardless of how they identify. And I think that's kind of what, that's definitely what it comes down for me and Brent, at least. It's us and anyone who has a conscience or some sort of values and is willing to have discourse against the psychopaths who want to fucking control everything. The psychopathic demonic yeah. machine that machine, is yeah. controlled <laughs> by a hyperdimensional AI system. Okay, <laughs> AI system. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and giant alien lizards. We just yeah, got sci-fi with it. All right, David Ike. 
who are turning the frogs gay, by the way. Turning um, the frogs gay. All right, Alex Jones. Stop making the frogs gay. Well, but and and but the but the funny thing about it is if you talk to the the evil non-conscienced individuals who are ruling the world right now, um, they will sit there and tell you, no, 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 we love humanity. We we just know better than you do how how to live. I mean, we have higher enlightened education and ideals, and therefore we simply want to make the world better. And if you'll just submit to us and our ideas, we can make that happen. Without a doubt, there is an element of eugenics going on uh-huh. here with yeah. the upper echelon and their agenda, whatever, you know, the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum and the Great sure. Reset and all that shit. I think you're right. I think deep down these elites truly do believe that it is it is their it's almost like a divine right of kings concept where they mm-hmm. believe they are ordained by a higher power that they are better more intelligent more advanced smarter that mm-hmm. it is their destiny to guide humanity and direct it and that we are just a bunch of stupid plebeians who can't know any better we're just incompetent and we need them we need their help god grants power to the king and the king grants uh blessings to his subjects whereas yeah. John Locke came along, threw a stick of dynamite at that idea and just blew it up and said, no, God grants power to the people and the people surrender it to the king to do for them what they cannot individually do for themselves. Yeah. And also huge revolutionary idea, too. Oh, exactly. Exactly. There's the idea also of the mandate of heaven. Yes. That's what I meant, basically, like divine right. Yeah. yeah, that like, is I, divine I, right of kings, though. It's the mandate it's the same of heaven. thing? It's the same concept, yeah. More, well, yeah. The more. mandate of heaven is more like if the ruler doesn't do a good job, then then like the circumstances get so bad that the people go in okay. there and remove him. And that and that it's like it's like God basically it's like if, punishing yeah. them. Yeah. For it's like I think it comes it comes from ancient China, I believe. It's like the, I think it is Chinese, yeah. The idea would be that, you know, the, if the ruler was bad, then they would have like a bunch of, you know, natural disasters like a plague or mm. uh, you know, there'd be like a bad port in like a comet um, or I just looked it up. All right, mandate of heaven, Chinese political ideology that was used in ancient and imperial China to legitimize the rule of the king or emperor of China. According to the doctrine, heaven or Xi'an bestows its mandate on a virtuous ruler. This ruler or the son of heaven was the supreme universal monarch who ruled Tianxia or all under heaven, which meant the world. Uh, If a ruler was overthrown, this was interpreted as an indication that the ruler was unworthy and had lost the mandate. It was also a common belief that natural disasters such as famine and flood were divine retributions bearing signs of heaven's displeasure with the ruler. So there would often be revolts following major disasters as the people saw these calamities as signs that the mandate of heaven had been withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is a really fascinating concept, though. It's like, oh, wait, all this shit wouldn't be going so bad if you were just doing a better job at leader. It's your fault. God said it's your fault. And the interesting thing about where we are in the world in the 21st century, and we think we're so enlightened and everything else, if you really stop and think about it and you listen long enough to everybody who's talking, regardless of where they are politically, we are ruled by dead men from the grave. Their ideas, ideas centuries going on past their deaths well you mentioned are ancient, influencing what we are you mentioned ancient greece like mm-hmm. you cannot separate those concepts that they those people came up with thousands of years ago from the foundations of the west it's impossible no, no you, you can't know? 
So you're correct. We're, we're definitely living by the influence of all of these long dead people. And it's crazy, man. You can still pick volumes up and read their thoughts. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, th and then you and then you listen to you listen to someone speaking today and you're like, that's pro that's positively Madisonian or wow. You Marxist communist pig. Uh, yeah. You know, you get one of those two reactions. Well, it's like, what, you know. What's uh, what's the phrase? There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new yeah. under the sun. It's like maybe there's some like different combinations, but for the most part, everything has sort of been thought or done. And uh, it, it reminds me of this like esoteric concept of the Akashic Records, it's called, where mm -hmm. all knowledge and everything that exists and can be known is stored in some sort of giant consciousness database. And that when we're learning or discovering things, really, we're just remembering what already is there and exists. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very, very true. What was that that unique phenomenon of people around the world making simultaneous simultaneous discoveries? discoveries yeah, like it's independently. Like, yeah, it's like as soon as one of them puts the thought into the general atmosphere, it's like it makes it more likely that other people can like catch on to that same thing and come up with the same discovery around the same exact time. It's really when bad for nuclear not proliferation, though. Yeah. <laughs> or if you if you go back in ancient history, you, you we see the pyramids. We mm -hmm. think, ah, these amazing structures in Egypt. Yeah, and then there's pyramids in South America. There's yeah. pyramids in China. It's, and, it's, and, they're very, yeah. and they're very similar in design. And you're sitting there going, mm -hmm. did you guys all these thousands of miles nope. and oceans apart basically come up with the same structure or the same design? Slight tweaks, slight modifications, yeah. but basically the same thing. And I'm sitting there going, no, 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 no. At some point, at some point, this knowledge was passed around. Yeah, you know, or or it's being accessed simultaneously from the yep. same like information yep. field. We'll or the aliens told yeah. them to build pyramids. Or the aliens told them to build pyramids. There yeah. you go. I don't know. Gave them the sonic tech to do it. It is still a great mystery why basically all human civilizations that eventually started to build structures built some form of ziggurat or pyramid structures. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's, it's still kind of a mystery as to why, because a lot of labor and time went into those buildings um, with little to no return. They were just like devotional buildings, either to the gods or they were tombs. But some of them, like the Great Pyramid of Giza, we don't even know what that was. Yeah. Egyptologists will say, oh, it's a tomb. But that's the general theory. But there are no funerary texts inside that structure. And even the basin that's in it isn't there's no proof that that was a sarcophagus either. Like all tombs had funerary texts in ancient Egypt. That was part, you know, you put this inscriptions from the Book of the Dead on the walls of the temple. So the fact that the Giza doesn't have it, yeah, it raises a lot of questions. Was that actually a burial place or was it something else? Some people think it was some kind of device. Um, there's this guy, Chris Dunn, who's an engineer. He wrote a couple books about this. One of them is called the Giza Power Plant. And that's one of his theories is that it was some kind of energy device or some shit. Um, well, didn't it used to have a golden top too? There, there, so there was a capstone um, and that's lost. No one knows whatever happened to the capstone. And it used to be encased in white limestone. So what we see the pyramid looking like today is not what it was at, at its prime. It would have been, it would have had a smooth, bright surface and it would have reflected lots of sunlight and it would have shone like a beacon in, in the distance. It would have been very bright and white. Wow. And then over time, some of that uh, stone started to fall off the surface. And then when uh, the Islamic empire took over 
Egypt, they started to take some of that stone from around the pyramid and off the pyramid, no. and they, they built mosques with it. So some of the mosques in Egypt today, you can find, are built with that white limestone that was on the face of the pyramid. Wow. fascinating. That is. That is. I did not know that, that detail. That starts to explain the deterioration of the, of the pyramids. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Well, it was, it was, they were already deteriorating, and then just... You know, the Muslims came and they started just salvaging the materials to use it for their own structures, which is not, you know, unheard of. It's humans have been doing that forever, but it is fascinating. And we still don't know what the hell that pyramid was. We really don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of mysteries that, that you know, fuel the imagination of well, yeah. what if. And yeah, it's as part of the great joy of living life. It's like, hmm. OK. Interesting. Oh, I, I, I still still think about the library of alexandria and i'm sure every dork nerd history nerd thinks about that too and you have to wonder like what could we have known about our origins today if those records survived and that was just one fire you know it's not exactly. the first like we've lost so many records like i think it's um it's graham hancock i'm sure you've heard of him yeah mm -hmm. um he uses the common phrase uh, he calls us a species with amnesia and I, re I, I like that concept because I think that is kind of what it is. He's right. It's like there's so much about our origins and where we came from that are forgotten. We don't we have amnesia. We don't even know anymore exactly where we came from and where we came from. Yeah. We're species with amnesia. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Well, it's, when you think about the uh, the time periods, too, like humans have existed conservatively 200 to 400,000 years in our current form, the, the DNA that we have, you know, the capabilities that modern humans have, we've had them for roughly half a million years, mm -hmm. conservatively. Now, the, there are more sure. liberal estimates that say humans have been around for about 2 million years, Yeah, which, you, okay, you ask yourself, okay, if we've been around that long, why don't we have more than, you know, 5,000 to 10,000 yeah. or even 20,000 well, years of history? They, I guess paleontologists would argue that just systems of writing and things like that were invented later. And that's why we only have 6,000 years of recorded history. But uh, me and Brent lean toward the, the great apocalypse theory. <laughs> yes, the great deluge theory that, that there were advanced civilizations in the past and we did record things and that that was for the most part lost in Absolutely. some kind of global giant cataclysm and then over time we forgot so i don't think it's just that there was only six thousand years of us recording stuff i think what happened is most of that shit got destroyed yeah i can see that i can absolutely see that you know absolutely but getting back to brian oh yes. lord <laughs> no that was a good tangent we we love talking about that shit and politics does get a little tiresome, you know, Once oh, in a while, God, yeah. yeah, it's like talk about history, talk about like civilizations, ancient cultures and other things. You know? Also the origin of Western values yeah. and these ideas. Yep. I mean, it's very well, ancient very Egypt fun. heavily influenced the ancient Greeks. So you could argue that a lot of our Western lineage also comes from them as well. And their civilization lasted for thousands of years. You know, whereas America, we're young, man, compared to the ancient Egyptian empire. And no, there was Jesus. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. indeed. Moving on. G and, and, Moving on. And, Jesus did a, and Jesus did a thing or two. So there you go. There's Jesus a, did a thing or two. <laughs> there's this whole like subculture of making an argument that, that the Jesus mythos and mythology was based Comes from Horus, Julius yeah. Caesar. And Horus. Julius Caesar and Horus. Well, yeah, there's, yeah. so like, they, he's a composite, but. Basically, the Caesar in gave West the West 
the idea of, you know, sort of turning the other cheek of forgiveness. He mm -hmm. really uh, institutionally imparted that, um, you know, he was one of the first uh, rulers uh, to not murder your enemy after you would, you know, defeat them in a conflict. Like you see, because back then, if you had a disagreement, it was like your army versus my army, and we're going to settle this like men. And prior to him, really what would happen if you lose, you know, or if you lost the, the battle or whatever. Yeah, all of your women and children. Women and children, your line, everybody's dead. But Caesar was one of the first people to not do that. And he would let me, and this was actually one of the reasons he ended up getting, you know, brutally murdered. I, I was going to say, I'll bet you he really regretted that line of thinking when it came to Brutus. That's all you know, I'm I don't saying. think, I, I don't imagine, well, yeah, well, but it's, it's interesting that he, he, but he imparted this idea of forgiveness. Yeah. So it kind of. And just on that note, Brutus, <laughs> Judas, Brutus, Judas. Ooh, you just, so. de you decide. Ooh. Just saying. Just, just saying. saying. But it is an interesting theory. Brent is correct. And there are books on that stuff for anyone who's interested in reading it. I think one of them literally is called Jesus Was Caesar. <laughs> Such fascinating reading. Yeah. Really good reading. It is an interesting theory. It's probably going to piss Christians off, though. But Unless they're the open-minded types like Brian. Christians have been getting pissed off for 2,000-plus years. What's one more day in the neighborhood? It's like, you know? sweetie, you can't take that Bible literally. I mean, come on. Literally, literally. I think it's a mixture. It's like there are literal things in it, and then there are things in it that are cryptic. They're not meant to be taken literally. They're meant to be taken symbolically, and you're supposed to puzzle it out and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love the way that St. Paul put it. We look through the glass, but darkly. Yes, we very have, darkly. We, we have <laughs> some darkly. idea. Unless yeah. you smoke DMT and then you like burst through the other side and, you know. You're, <laughs> you want you want you to talk about that a bit, Brent? Uh, no, I think that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> I recently had my first DMT experience. That's why I was asking. I'm like, you want to talk about say, that? Let's just say there's a whole lot happening on that other side. Well, you said it was like dying. Right. It was similar. It, well, so, or, yeah. or at least like the closest thing you could picture to getting toward what that might be like. Yes, because well, so it definitely interferes with your uh let's call it the soul brain complex where your uh entity spirit sort of connects to the body and and it sort of messes with those connections so that you, you can redirect your, you know, from this dimension to the other side. Hmm. And so you you're you're simultaneously in the two places uh it's hard to describe <laughs> and then when you're on the other side there's no like body or or even you sometimes you even forget that you have a body and this is like a 15 minute experience too okay but but did you encounter the machine elves i didn't encounter machine elves i encountered what i would Although call that, that's supposed to be an acid thing right not dmt or no no that's dmt the machine elves? The I machine elves or DMT. Oh, I thought it was both. No, no machine elves. Uh, I, I sort of encountered <laughs> uh, vibrating patterns that didn't like radar. That didn't like radar. They did not like, they were, because you know, radar jumped Daniel, on Daniel, you found friends. <laughs> I found friends. You know what? That's not I'm totally just, true. I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, let, 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 me, let me clarify, though, for the record. I really fucking missed that dog, which is crazy. And like, Aww, and it's funny because. Brent. There you go, Brent. My, my, dad, my dad thought I was crazy last night. He was like, that dog bit you three times. Like, you're, you missed that dog? I'm like, look, you know, my family hurts me and pisses me off. 
and I forgive them, right? And I'm still their friend. Oh, great. You just compared your family to dogs. That's great. What I'm saying, no, I'm comparing my dog to family. I'm comparing Radar to Brent's dog to family. I'm saying, you know, it's like your family member. A family member is once in a while going to do something that hurts you or pisses you off. Smooth. You know. Well, honestly, though, I really do miss that dog. And even I think it's funny because I'm like, that motherfucker bit me. And I still miss that motherfucker. <laughs> He's over there. You want to see him? He's cute. I can't wait to, like, see him see him when we, like, get together again. Oh, baby. Aww. Hi, Radar. Jabuba bear. doesn't hear me. He's a baby. He's like, what's up? How is he over there? Is he still cranky? No, he's fine. Yeah, it's less stress for him on the island. Oh, he loves it. I mean, we go out when we go out in the morning, we're walking on the boardwalk and he gets to chase deer and kitty cats and he does he gets to be off leash for yeah. most of it. You know, there's one part where I put him back on leash because I get nervous because there's construction dudes out here and they drive on the road and uh, yeah. he's, he, that, he's basically the dangerous rhetoric mascot. He was there from the beginning. He's my dangerous puppy. He's the dangerous puppy. Uh, Brian, house. do you have pets? No, I I do not have pets. However, my oldest nephew has a cat named Andre. Andre's funny. Now, 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 no one. Hang on, Andre is a unique soul. Um, in the same way that that radar on occasion would uh, nip at your leg. Um, oh, nip is a nice way to put it. <laughs> and he got me in the leg once. He got me in the hand once, and he got me in the finger. So. Well, Bradley, this, this is what he gets for giving your dog the finger. He got my um, foot and he got my hand too. Well, I'm pretty well convinced that Andre. Wait, he got your hand too? When did he bite your hand? A long time ago. Oh, I don't remember that. Now, I'm I'm pretty well convinced that my nephew's cat is demon possessed. <laughs> um, that's that's radar. That's radar. Well, well. Now let me for for those of you. No, no. I'm you, I'm legit. I'm serious. We used to joke. He has his dark radar, side. We call it yeah, Damien. Damien. Yeah. We, whenever radar would get weird, we would say that's not radar. That's Damien. 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 Damien yeah. comes out at night sometimes. Yeah. The the dog was the it was the inspiration for the movie The Omen. Anyway, okay. uh, <laughs> Andre um, was a a cat that my nephew and his now wife found when they were living. Um, away from where we are now and they named it Andre and it was only after they named Andre that they realized it was a female cat but by that point they'd called it Andre for so long I was like Andrea it. it's Andrea now. no they, no they just kept it Andre now That's funny. now for the most part there are only three people in the house I say three people because the cat thinks it's a person That's how they and are. There, there's my nephew and his now wife and Andre when other people came around Andre Andre was like who are you and why are you in this house to give you an idea of how antisocial Andre could be. My family and I went to visit my nephew and his wife at their house, you know, a couple hours up the road. And most of us were out. Most, if not all of us were out on my nephew's back porch. And there's a glass uh, screen door between the two of them. So my niece was holding, held Andre. Now, now picture this. My my niece and Andre are maybe three or four feet away from this glass sliding door. Here's the glass sliding door. And another four to five feet away is my sister just standing there, not doing anything, just standing there. Literally, you could hear that cat screech from eight feet away. <laughs> 
I mean, let go the most blood-curdling sound that came out of the depths of hell. <laughs> Cats can make scared, some weird noises. Dude, they really the do. Dude. living shite out of everybody. <laughs> and, and, and there are sounds coming out of animals that scare you. After that, <laughs> uh, Giving them too much chicken. So, so then my nephew and his wife moved down here. They bought a house uh, really close to family. And every so often they'll travel out of town. Well, when they do, they'll ask me to go out and make sure that Andre's food and water bowl are filled. Okay, fine. No problem. I just make sure that I'm wearing, you know, Kevlar, a flak jacket, a helmet. <laughs> I've driven up there in an up-armored Humvee, and I go through the house carrying an M16. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You think I jest about this, but I walk through the door. Okay, cool. No problem. And there's Andre four feet away from me, crouched down, looking up like, go for it. Make my day. Yeah. <laughs> There was one visit on this on this weekend. They were out of town. I go over there. I'm filling the, the food bowl. That cat took a swipe at my left foot, which fortunately <laughs> I was wearing shoes. Thank God it was summertime, but I was wearing tennis shoes. And then that cat backed up two steps, looking at me and went, <laughs> I'm like, I am here to feed you and yeah. make sure you have water. Bastard. You are little, you <laughs> bastard. Um, you know, and I'm like, all right, I'm, and then literally, I'm backing away from Andre. Andre's advancing on me. I'm backing off. Andre's advancing. I'm backing off. And finally, we circled around each other. It was the most. If, if somebody had a camera, you could have turned this into a scene from a comedy movie. It, w- it would have been a viral video easily. Pretty much, yeah. You could put this thing on TikTok, and you got two million views instantly. This is how ridiculous this thing is. Yeah, I'm backing uh, out the door. So- Southern man, out. like Southern man, has standoff with cat. Yeah, you, you can hear the the, the 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 music to the good, bad, and the ugly in the background, and this is like you know my eyes, the cat's eyes, my eyes, the cat's eyes. Yeah, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. But yes, I can relate to. So there's a reason, among others, why I don't have animals, because a little of that goes a long way for me. Don't get me wrong, I love dogs, I love cats. You know, I'm a very loving person, but I figure. I've got enough trouble taking care of myself. What in the world yeah. am I going to do with an animal? No, there, there are a lot of work. It's a huge exactly. And a lot, of, a lot, not a lot of cats, but there are definitely some cats like that. They pick one person and that's their person. They're obsessed with that person. They love that person. They don't, they don't want to, anything to do with anyone else. Yep. Absolutely. And then, then there are other cats that are very personable and social and they want to go up to everyone and, and rub on everyone and pet me, pet me, please. Like, Absolutely. So, but yeah, their, their personalities are just so varied, man. They're varied. I've had both types. You know, I've had the type who just is my cat, doesn't want to hang with anyone else. And I've had cats who just, they love everyone who comes in the door. So, yep. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you, guys re- you guys didn't realize you're going to get all this when you, when you asked me to come on, did you? Oh, I love the cat dog discussion. I tried to do this last time, I think, and Brent was like, all right, we're not talking about that. I'm like, well, you don't want to have this debate. It's one of the most popular debates in the world. Although I never choose a side. I'm always like kind of neutral-ish, but I lean cat. But I love dog, both. 100%. Yeah. I, lo- I know you. Yeah, you're a dog person, Brent. But it's hard for me. to. I do love both, and I love aspects of both, and I hate aspects of both, you know? <laughs> but I'm partial to cats. Like, cats are assholes. Everybody knows that. That's not totally true. They could be very, very incredibly loyal creatures. So, 
Sure. So so well, let me guess. Somewhere they don't, have, they, don't, they don't have to come back to your ass when they get out. They could survive out there on their own. So somewhere you. somewhere previously, you've had an Andre experience in your life, isn't that right, Brent? Come on, admit it. Just just come on. Just it's okay. No, um, friends. Well, you, I've Brent, never, really, never had, had cats allergies. Brent had well, allergies. Ah, you had allergies. I have allergies, uh, and also like you know, we it's the same thing with my dad. My dad had allergies, so we never had cats growing up. We always had dogs that did not shed. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Also, I'm partial to the dog energy. The cat is fiercely independent. It's more, you know, that's like what I a, like. Though. It's more of like a, you know, like a detente. Like having a cat is like having a roommate, or is like having a dog is like having a kid. Or is yeah, a friend that that's kind of see that's kind of what I don't like about dogs. Like I think the the fawning gets a little old. Like I love it. I love how much a dog appreciates you when you come home and those sorts of things. And it's not like cats don't do that either. But yeah, dogs will definitely fawn over you. And one of the things about dogs too is I feel like it's just very easy to treat a dog any way you want and it'll still follow you around and be loyal to you as long as you feed it. You know, you could beat a dog into submission and it's going to come back in the house and do what you want as long as you give it food. Try doing that to a cat. And it gets out of that, it gets out of that house, never fucking coming back. And I like yeah. that. I, I like that cats have that sense of dignity about them. You have to work to establish a relationship with the cat. It takes work. And a lot of people don't want that. They just want the immediate fawning of a dog. They want something that's going to just love them unconditionally. Cats have conditions. You got to work for that relationship to establish the trust. And if you break it, you probably won't get it back. The cat's going to never, never trust you again. It reminds me of some girls I've dated before, but now we'll get the whole other discussion. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know. Uh... <laughs> no, a friend of mine said years ago, if you have a dog, you have a friend. If you have a cat, you have an employer. You have an employer. <laughs> I can't say boss. that they're wrong after all. I mean, I, I agree, and I do get where the jokes come from. But I'm still an apologist for cats' loyalty because they do have loyalty. They just don't – it's not shown in the same way. It's not expressed in the same way as a dog. But I've seen videos online of the, the family cat running in to, like, save a child, for example, that was being mauled by a dog. Yeah, and then the absolutely. family cat runs out, attacks the dog. The dog runs away, and then they save the child. So it's like cats do have that sense of loyalty um it's just they don't express it as often or in the same way and they don't just they don't really fawn over you and everything's on their terms <laughs> it's always the, oh you want to pet me not now not now yeah but then when they want to pet you they'll crawl right on your keyboard right in front of you yeah. now yeah. now i want yeah, that would drive again. me nuts yeah, it's like, again it's like, reminds reminds yeah. me of some girls i used today no <laughs> just <laughs> like, not right now not right now and then yeah then when they want it you're not ready it's like i'm in the middle of something it's like they put themselves right in the middle of whatever you're doing and the distraction is just yeah. like, son of a bitch just like, <laughs> yeah it's i don't know and i know like that's part to the jumping thing a lot of people can't handle that with cats they don't want something that can climb anywhere and i get i get that that could be annoying yeah, they got cat powers when, they can just like jump they on do a, you know yeah. tabletop or top of your cabinets or the, any, anything the, Yes, the the highest place in your home you can think of, they can probably get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like you know Cato from the Inspector Clouseau movies when Peter Sellers would walk through the door and Never some flying. Oh, dude! 
You got to send links. Oh, yeah. Peter Sellers was a comedy genius. And he'd play the role of the original Inspector Clouseau. And in some of the movies, he had a manservant named Cato. And Cato, much like from the Green Hornet, was was Asian. And whenever Clouseau would walk through the door, he'd have to look around very carefully because you never knew when Cato was going to come flying out with some karate move. Was was the Kato from here the one that the Green Hornet one was based on? Bruce Lee's maybe, character? maybe hmm. I'm not sure because that 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 was what me. that was that role was what launched Bruce Bruce Lee's Lee career. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. well, in, in the West, it was what introduced him to the Western Hollywood world. Was mm-hmm. that role? Yeah, that old Batman too. The they used to do the crossovers. Oh yeah. Well, I think they did like one or two crossover events, but I used to watch some of those reruns when I was a kid because my dad grew up on that stuff, the old Batman show and nineteen sixties, seventies, sixties. Yeah, absolutely. I I love I love Bruce Lee though. Everyone knows that. I got him on my shirt right now. (laughs) Yeah, most one of the most amazing human beings in terms of physical abilities and speed. Not, see, but not just physical abilities. He was very philosophical, too. He was a deep true. person. Very true. Super deep. I mean, yeah, he had a short temper. That's true. Um, something he was working on his whole life. Yeah, he had his flaws. He had affairs. Um, he did hash, you know, and some people might not know that either. He loved hash. He wasn't really a drinker. He was a was pothead. Life. He was a pothead, but that was how he fitted in with the Hollywood crowd because he couldn't drink. It didn't sit well with him, and but he wanted to be able to have fun and party with them. And that was how he he got into hash and stuff. But he was really deep and philosophical. He had a, a library, large collection. He read all the time. So he wasn't just like the physical type that people think of with him. He definitely was a very intellectual and spiritual as well. And flawed, you know, like any human. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That dude went out like a fireball, man. He's like one of those people, 32 years old. I cannot remember. What was his cause of death? cerebral edema he had in is a swelling of the brain um and heated basically that's that's what the theory i think that makes the most sense is is that he died of heat stroke wow yeah but he was in the apartment with the mistress in her apartment it was a whole scandal dude and he's he, he was like going through the choreography of the movie to her so he had just taken some hash he was all excited um, and then he was like showing her all the moves like, hey, then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And, then, you know, that kind of thing. Very excited about the movie he was shooting, which was uh, I think he had just finished Enter the Dragon and he was finishing Game of Death. And he just got tired all of a sudden. And so she was like, well, you should go lay down. She gave him some kind of like sleeping medicine. Oh, um, and he went to lay down and he just he never woke up. They discovered him dead. Whole scandal happened. Um, they were trying to blame the weed too, and his wife even had to deny in court, even though she knew that he was taking hash. She had to deny that because she wouldn't get the insurance payout otherwise. So wow. it was like, yeah, it was a whole crazy scandal, and it was probably really hard on his wife Linda too, because again, they discovered him in the apartment of a, of a, a mistress. A mistress. Yeah. That's so, yeah. Rough. Again, flawed man. Flawed man. But we are truly, all collages, yeah. you know. We don't. We are the sum of our parts. We are the sum of our parts. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the founding fathers, right? People love to drag them for their mistakes. Now, it's like, oh, but yeah. these were these were people. They were human beings. They they you know they 
You have to put them in the context of the time that they're in. Uh, say what you want about yeah. Thomas Jefferson. He wrote the Declaration of Independence when he was 25 years yeah. old. Like, what the hell did you do at 25? You know? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a line from one of my favorite musicals. Uh, it's 17, the film version of it, actually. It's 1776. And the gentleman who's playing um, Benjamin Franklin looks at the gentleman who's playing John Adams. He says, you know, what will history think us? Demigods? We are men. No more and no less. Trying to start a nation against greater odds than a more generous God would ever allow. Yeah. And and it's true. I mean, for all the brilliance, and truly they were, you know, they're men. They they, and, they, and they had appetites and 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 foils and and vanities and everything else that went with it. But even through all of that, they handed down to succeeding generations probably the greatest system of government ever conceived of in the mind of man. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, it is an experiment. I, I always liked calling it that Ooh. because it really is an experiment. When you look back at history and you start to study other systems of government a bit and just what other civilizations were like, this really is a unique thing. This has not been done before. It is. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know if it's going to last. And in fact, it's in fact, I'm a little shocked it's lasted this long. Yeah. And, and, and when, and when you go back and you, I mean, for me, my favorite, one of, outside of John Adams, who's my hero, my other favorite founding father is James Madison. And oh, I, want, I want to talk about Adams a bit too after him. Oh, well, we can get into yeah. that. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the reason that I bring up Madison is most people don't understand why Madison wrote the Constitution or large parts of it the way he did. Yeah, the Federalist Papers. Yeah, it was him, John yeah. Jay, and Hamilton. Well, but, but, but even beyond that, I mean, yeah. keep in mind, Here's this 20-something-year-old kid, mm -hmm. you know, who some of the founding fathers would argue was wet behind the ears, comes up out of Virginia with an almost completely fully laid-out system of government before he ever hits the door of Independence Hall at Philadelphia. And in large part, he's put it together based on his college education, which mm -hmm. I'll, give, I'll give you guys an interesting factoid if you don't know this. Given that he was from Virginia, most of the gentry young men were expected to go to William and Mary. So Madison writes a letter to Thomas Jefferson. He says, well, look, I'm about ready to go off to college. You know, what are your thoughts about William and Mary? And interestingly, it's Jefferson who steers him away from William and Mary. He says, look. I don't think the educational level there is as good as it used to be, yada, yada, yada. But I've heard about this place in Trenton, New Jersey. Why don't you go up there? Well, we commonly call it Princeton today. <laughs> and well, and, and which, gets which by the way, was actually founded where I am right now in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Just in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, it gets even before better. Before it went to Princeton. It gets even better. The College of New Jersey, as it was called at the time, Mm -hmm. was presided over by a Scottish Presbyterian minister by the name of John uh, Witherspoon, who was a, what was called a theological Calvinist. Now, if your listeners are watching this and you don't know that much about Calvinism, I'll break it down as simply as I can. Basically, they believe in any number of things, the sovereignty of God, but above all else, the depravity of man. Mm -hmm. And then you take that influence and then everything else Madison's learning and he realized, oh, crap. Man's depraved. We don't want to put power absolutely in the hands of man. How do I devise a system that keeps man's excessive appetites from destroying the freedom and liberty of people? And then Madison came up with the idea, 
ah, we'll divide power. Mm-hmm. Therefore, nobody can get total control of everything such that you cannot encroach on liberty. And that's why Madison wrote the Constitution yeah. the way he did. Yeah, why there, we have the different, fascinating. The different yeah. branches of government, which are meant, you know, checks and balances was the term. With specific enumerated powers and the understanding yeah. that they cannot do any more than the power that they are expressly granted in writing. Now, well, these days that concept's out the window, but, but that's just, how it was intended. But but to show just how even more complicated the whole thing was, they didn't even all agree on that. As brilliant Agre- as you yeah. could say the system Absolutely. was, um, even Madison and them didn't cover everything. And that's why yeah. we have the Bill of Rights. It's because you had the anti-federalists came in and they were like, well, no, we're not okay with this. This establishes a stronger federal government. You left out this, 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 and all these other things. And that was why when they ratified the Constitution, that's why we have the Bill of Rights attached to it. That was because the anti-federalists came in and ripped the original version to shreds. And that's why we have gun rights and free speech and all that stuff, because they're like, dude, you didn't put that in there. These things need to be in there. And just really quick, shit all over the southern states all you want for being the slave-owning states and all that. They were primarily the ones who pushed for those Bill of Rights that we have right now that allowed – black folks later to arm themselves and and all that stuff so the legendary george mason of virginia was a delegate to the constitutional convention and the longer he kept sitting there as a matter of fact there's a story there's a book i'm gonna i'm gonna show you guys something really cool too once we're done with this yeah yeah um there's a great story told in a book that i've got in my library it's called real threat or mere shadow it's about the adoption of the first amendment and the story goes that George Mason is sitting there, you know, with a window open in 1787, and he's literally writing on the back of a piece of paper, there is no Bill of Rights. There is no mm-hmm. Bill of Rights. There is no mm-hmm. Bill of Rights. Well, when all this was brought to Madison's attention, it's just like you said, Madison's saying they're going, we don't need a Bill of Rights. Everybody knows and everybody understands that unless the power is expressly granted in writing, it's thereby reserved under the states. But the anti-federalists, just like you said, Daniel, Vis-a-vis Mason, Patrick Henry, and many others were like, you either put it in there or we're not even going to adopt this thing. And this beautiful little system you guys have drawn up is right down the toilet. So Madison was a lot of things, but he's a practical politician. He said, fine, you guys vote to adopt. I will put a Bill of Rights on the floor in the first Congress. And that's exactly how we got it. Well, you mentioned your library. I have some of mine behind me, although I'm in the process of packing it back up. But I have a really cool thing here that I will show you guys. And the Ooh. audience will enjoy it too. Give me one second. Cool. So, uh, so do we do the do 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 do? Yeah, right. Pretty close. Since we're talking about the Constitution and all of that, um, this right here is a Revolutionary War letter. Oh. Yeah. Written by Jonathan Dayton. And Jonathan Dayton was from my hometown, Elizabeth, New Jersey. He was born, raised here, died here. And Dayton was also the youngest signer of the Constitution. Oh, wow. Um, Franklin being the oldest signer. Franklin Mm -hmm. was 81. Dayton, I believe, was 26 or 27. Um, His story is so fascinating and just not very well known because later in his career, he got roped into Aaron Burr's treason trial because he lent Burr money. And that destroyed Dayton's career, and he became mostly forgotten. But his story is fascinating. Like, the guy dropped out of Princeton to fight in the Continental Army at 15. 
Oh, wow. you know, yeah, got captured, released, fought in Yorktown, you know, mm. determining battle, and then later on became um, the Speaker of the House and all of that stuff. Yeah, but it's just crazy. We don't remember him anymore, all because of that Aaron Burr treason trial. Like it ruined his reputation. All right, folks, can we just say it? Burr was a POS. Let's just he, be honest about it. Burr, Burr was, yeah, but you know, Dayton was friends with him. So, and it kind of ended up, she, he shot himself in the foot by lending him money. And then Burr tried to go start his own like country sort of thing. And then <laughs> they, then they, yeah, they, they sued him. They're like, dude, this is treason. Um, thankfully, Dayton didn't end up going on trial, but the entire scandal, it's just, he he left federal politics after that and stayed in local government around here, but for the most part became generally forgotten. Um, he's buried on Broad Street here in Elizabeth underneath the church, St. John's, and he has no headstone. So he doesn't even have a marker for his grave. Aww. Yeah. And, and by the way, since, story. since we're on the subject of founding fathers, for all you Alexander Hamilton lovers out there, suck it. I don't care. <laughs> he was a bastard brat of a Scottish peddler. So he he um, he is also connected to my city. So when Alexander Hamilton came from the Caribbean and they uh, sponsored him to go get an education in the States, that was why they sent him here. The first place he came to get his first formal education in the United States was right here in Elizabeth, New Jersey, at wow. the Elizabethtown Academy, which Burr also attended at a different time. And um, Dayton also attended that same academy. So they all knew each other, but Dayton was friends with Burr. He wasn't really close with Hamilton amazing. like that. Absolutely yeah. amazing. It is crazy, yeah. Just, But it, it goes to remind you, especially when you hold a document like this in your hand and you read it, these were just people, man. They were just regular dudes who put everything on the line. Like imagine dropping out of college at 15 to go fight the biggest empire in the world at the time. Imagine being in crazy. college at 15. Yeah. It's a, back, then, that. Actually, back then it was normal. A pretty normal 15-year-old yeah. boy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. In 17, <laughs> well, 17 you, you, something. Yeah. But today are, it's like. We oh, are. Yeah. Young men are innately rebellious, number one, at that age. And number two, yeah. they don't have an awareness of their own death. Yeah, well, earlier you true. mentioned how That's young Madison, you had mentioned how young Madison was and you called yeah. him just a kid. No, at that time in his 20s, you were a man already. You weren't considered just a kid. You That's know, right. Were, yeah. yeah. Well, you had different. to grow up fast in that world yeah, or you fast. would, you know, yeah. die. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. if the scurvy didn't get you, the smallpox would. It's like, you know, you better live yeah, while you're the, living. The, the age of prior to antibiotics, like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, seriously, man. And disinfectants. Ugh. Granted, there were there were less people back then, and but still, to go like to fight in a war like that against the biggest empire at the time, ballsy, yeah. ballsy as hell, ballsy as hell. And, you know, even though he became relatively forgotten later, it's still ballsy and a fascinating story. I plan on writing a biography about him at some point. That'd be cool. I'm, once I'm settled down and stuff, I already started marking down. Yeah, and I started like kind of just planning out the different uh, archives I'm gonna have to visit around the country to like read his letters and those sorts of things. But it's just again, it's a fascinating story, and I think it's one that should just be told because people. Yeah, and, and well, and we and love good stories. Part, well, and that's part of where we are culturally is that you know, either by deliberate design or by our own negligence, we're forgetting our own history. We are. We're for, 
we're forgetting why we are unique in the world. And yes, America is unique in the world mm-hmm. for so many different reasons. Yeah. No. Well, I just I, I take history serious in general. I think no matter if you're from the U.S. or in England or wherever you're from, you should study the history of the place you're from and contextualize yourself within the larger story of that place. One of the things uh, I'm a huge advocate for, and I've mentioned it, I think, on this show a few times, but um, I think there should be some kind of federal mandate. I'll go as far as to say that that makes it mandatory for every town and city in the country to have a local history class in their curriculum of public schools at least one i could agree with that at least one and i I think that that. would help a lot and especially in regards to the immigration crisis because i think one of the reasons you see certain towns and cities get trashed by the newcomers who come to those places is they don't have any connection to the place. And I think, I think if you taught them the whole story and the history and all the waves of immigrants who came over time, then you would give them a sort of view where they can contextualize themselves and say, well, Hey, even though I'm not from here, I'm here now. I'm part of this larger story. Wow. And then they would have more respect for the place that they now live in and be less likely to trash it and mistreat it and stuff. That's my argument at least. Yeah. And it would make it easier for them to assimilate to American culture. Yeah. Well, you, you'll feel like you're a part of it. Just be like, oh, wow. Exactly. There were way, like for Elizabeth, for example, if you go back as far as you can go, you'll be like, all right, well, there were the Lena Lenape Indians, then the Dutch came, then the English came, right? Then the Irish came, and then, and then the Italians came, and then the Latinos started coming in the 70s. So all of them are all part of the story of this place. And yeah. if you teach it in that way, the newcomers who have just arrived will be able to then contextualize themselves and feel like they're also part of that story and be less inclined to shit all over the place, you know, metaphorically and literally speaking. (laughs) San Francisco, what's up? Oh boy. Yeah. Shout out San Francisco. I'm a huge, I mean, look, if I were president, I would definitely sign that shit into law. I'd be like mandatory local history class for every single town and city in the country, period. Needs to be in your curriculum. That's cute. I mean, yeah, I think that absolutely. would come via the Department of Education, yeah. and you would probably do it through funding yeah. incentives. I just, I, I don't know why it hasn't been done yet, and it does bum me out because I feel like it, it would just because we live in a communist country that is being slowly subverted by evil. That's probably true. Yeah, yeah. they don't want us to know our. <laughs> Thanks, Joe Biden. Thanks, Joe Biden. <laughs> Yeah, come oh, on. Boy. It's like so obvious. Like this guy, like I think he took like it was like five million. They traced five million directly from the CCP. Like, or was it uh, two million? I can't remember the number. But like they no, traced it. Was, it. Uh, yeah, it was Talk like ten reason. Ten million from the chief executive officer of Burisma, five to Joe and five to Hunter. And it's all documented yeah. in an uh an FBI form known as an FD-1023, which the local offices around the country have all looked at the documents and said, yeah, it's pretty yeah. credible, guys. That's and then, and then all those, crap. and then all those people who were screaming about Russian collusion for four years, silent as the fucking grave. Mm-hmm. No, silent yeah, as the grave. Not a peep from those people. And the Russian collusion wasn't real. That was yeah, big, and um, th- that's my point. Yeah, is that there, there was like this no no evidence for that. And then here you have this other situation with that the current was. sitting president where there's a substantial amount of evidence. And it's just, I was also oh, reading today about you know, the Section 702 thing that the, uh, the Congress just reauthorized the passive. Oh, the five, oh God. And they the, the trick there was that they used 
the steel dossier, which was absolute poppycock, absolute horse hockey. They used that to get a warrant to go after Carter Page, who was then the Trump campaign's foreign policy advisor. Hmm. Um, and because yeah. he was talking to overseas people, they used that as the rationale to yeah. get a tap on him. Yeah, I, I was reading about that section. The and that FBI officer got convicted of a crime and was sentenced to like a year probation or something. So basically what the section does is it allows the government to warrantless wiretapping. On, well, specifically, it's they're allowed to spy on foreign nationals, even if they're outside the country. But even if those foreign nationals are directly communicating with American citizens, they're still allowed to spy on those communications. There's the correct? trick. Exactly. And, that, and that's where they're, the opponents of that are arguing, right, that it's violating the Constitution. And the thing that makes me mad the most, for several weeks now, Jim Jordan and his counterpart, the chair of the Intelligence Committee, and I want to say it's Mike Rogers, have been working up reform bills to Section 702 of the FISA Act, and they had them both ready to go. Yep. Two different bills. Yeah, I was and, that too. And they were trying to decide which bill do we want to pass out of the House. Well, no one could really come to a good conclusion, so initially it was decided we're going to bring them both up, and whichever is the queen of the hill, so to speak, in other words, yeah. whichever one gets most votes, this is what we're going with. Well, all of a sudden, at the last second, the speaker, Mike Johnson, pulls both bills. It's like, nope, nope, nope. We'll just wait till next year and do this. Yeah. And they reauthorize Section 702 for, uh, I another think it's a minimum. Well, about a, it basically works out to a year. They called it four months yeah. of the bill. Well, but it works they, out to another year. They, they go by uh, fiscal years. By fiscal yeah, year. fiscal years. And, and I'm sitting here going... You know, Mike, I love you, but dude, when do you want to start fighting? Because yeah. it's not like anybody's not walking up and smacking you in the face. Yeah, he, he wants, he's he, he's you want to start fighting. He's been like touch and go too with the impeachment question uh -huh. too, from what yeah. I understand. Like at first he was just kind of like, I don't think there's sufficient evidence, and now you know now he's switching over again and being like, we should go through with this. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they just pushed it. There's like a new. They're like actually moving forward with it. I think now. Yeah, like finally. it's official. It's it's, it's official. They <sighs> took the vote like two twenty one to two twelve. The impeachment proceedings will go forward formally mm. in the House, and that means subpoena power to the Oversight Committee, Judiciary Committee, Ways and Means Committee, and that gives them broad authority to start grabbing records left and right. Good. I'm curious. So, I'm curious what's going to come of that. Yeah. No, I'm not I'm not holding my breath, but I am curious. No, don't hold your something. breath because there's probably nothing that's going to come up. Could there, be a but... nothing. <laughs> no, yeah, because the, the, the idea now that's getting floated around is that Joe Biden is the weakest candidate possible. So the Republicans would actually want him to be the nominee. Yeah, that was what Tim Cast was theorizing as well, too. Uh, so um, did you guys hear about the freaking... Uh, Hunter Biden like skipped his deposition on Wednesday. Yeah, and yeah. he was aided and abetted skipping his deposition yeah. by none other than infamous uh, Chinese spy banger Eric Swalwell. Ooh. Who reserved him the Eric, Fang Fangs. Fang Fangs. Fang Fang. Eric, Rubba, yep. Eric Swalwell, a.k.a. Bang Bang with Fang Fang. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, you can use that one. It's not. It's not copyrighted. Yeah, that dude is I mean, so not... dirty. Yeah. So oh, dirty. oh, I mean, and then on top of that, it's and I have not officially heard this, but it's been conjectured that 
you know, did Hunter tell dad what he was going to do? Did dad counsel him to do it? Did anybody in the White House counsel yeah. him to do and it? And is that legal? And, Probably and not. So, right? I mean, and again, no one has, you know, said definitively, oh, yeah, Joe Biden told him to go flip the middle bird to Congress and not do it. But it's well, like. I think uh, now the critics are trying to accuse him of contempt of Congress, right? Yeah. Oh, he, oh, he could be held in contempt. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, at that, that. and at that point, the Congress has two options. They can either refer it to the Justice Department or they can fine Hunter Biden, which I don't know how high those fines could go. But my thought in the matter is if there's no cap on it, if it's me, I'd slap a $500,000 fine on him and it goes up a quarter of a million dollars every day. doesn't come in to testify. <laughs> that I would, would definitely give him incentive. Yeah, well, I, hey, the Bidens are about many things, but one of them above all else, money. After family is money. Money. Okay. You want to get them, hurt them in the pocketbook. Yeah, well, look, look how hard he fought just to lower his child support payments. No oh, God, <laughs> I think they lowered it what to like five grand. Initially, it was like twenty grand. Look, I'm not saying that's reasonable or not reasonable, but clearly, money is what's most important. Oh yeah, you know, M money and toys and toys. It well, no, no. What, 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 think about think about it for a second. What is one of Joe's favorite possessions in life? That green '67 Corvette that's sitting in his garage in Delaware. Right. What's Hunter trying to get his hands on? A Ferrari. Right. I mean, you know, the special. Th I mean, they love toys. They love the access. They love the power, and they love the money. Mm -hmm. And it just when I when I think I mean, about when I look, think about Joe Biden's physical and mental condition, and then I look at that whole family, I sit there and ask myself. You people are the most morally depraved yeah. human being walking God's well, earth. Here's the thing is to me, it's just priorities. Like, sure. Yeah. Have your nice things. Appreciate your nice things. If you worked hard for a lot of money, yeah, spend your money on yourself and, and have nice luxury things. But when you're in this position of power, that's secondary. That should be your secondary motivation. Your Absolutely. first motivation is the people that you are serving. So I agree mm -hmm. with you in that sense. Like, I'm not going to sit here and knock rich people for, no. buying things and using their money fine but the no. point is you you are in this position and it does say a lot about you and what your priorities are as a leader when it just kind of seems like your focus is still on that the wealth the money the affluence you know just who you're rubbing elbows with it's it's all about that they're celebrities obama is the same shit they were just celebrity mm -hmm. people yeah trump already had the celebrity and that's the difference with him is he had the celebrity before he entered office he didn't need to use politics to Agreed. make himself a celebrity. Right. Whereas these people are, what do you call them? Career politicians, right? That's what they are. They're career politicians. Huh. Like they make a career out of this. When I don't, have... think, I don't think that should be, I think we need to kind of no. No. change that. You I know, think we, we should, should go to a full, yeah. just just get rid of like, I, I, like well, I would love to get rid of voting altogether and just have a pool of qualified people. You enter into the pool. If you want to be in the pool, you don't have to be in the pool. Or, or the, pool. The, the ranked voting thing, I also think is an interesting option to consider. Ranked choice voting is cute. Yeah, yeah I know. To, to do it the way I want to do it, we'd have to have constitutional amendments. If, if I had Which my way about it. how it should be done. That's the point. Mm -hmm. You are supposed to amend the constitution. You're not supposed if, to try to go around it. If I had my way about it, I would do age limits on politicians, except in reverse. And that is, if you reach the age of 55, you cannot run for president. If you reach the age of 60, you can't run for the Senate. And if you reach the age of 65, you cannot run for the House. And if you happen to turn one of those ages during your term of office, then when, when your term is up, 
you're done. You're done. Yeah. You're you're done. I mean, I mean, and the reason that I come to this conclusion is a couple things. One, you're looking at the state of our current politics right now, and you know, I joke, I said truly, we're ruled by men from beyond the grave. Currently, we're ruled by people who ought to be in a nursing home. <laughs> and, and don't and don't get me wrong. I I have family members of mine who are older. My mother is doing pretty well for her age. Experience is great. Experience is great. But there comes a point when it's like, okay, when people are literally falling asleep in committee hearings and a man's giving a speech and all of a sudden freezes up. Oh, when a guy normal. turns around, yeah. When a guy turns around like Joe Biden to shake hands, and there's no no one there, there. Yeah. you know, yeah. or you've got Diane Feinstein, and people are literally you can hear them telling her how to vote in committee. Yeah. I mean, she literally died in office. Supreme Court let her go. They waited yeah. so long; she just died yeah. in office. <laughs> I mean, and on the other hand, we have age minimums. That determine yeah. if you can run for office or not. Well, well if you can do that on one end, yeah. exactly. If you can do that on one end, why don't Definitely you do it on maximums. the other? Definitely yeah. need maximums. Maximums yeah. and term limits at yeah. the bare yeah. minimum. And well, I, but, the, I, but the max, but the maximums would almost take away the need for term limits. I'm not I saying it would completely. The mental but competency, it, mental competency tests too, I think, are a good idea. And I agree with you know Marjorie Taylor Greene and other people who are calling for those sorts of measures. I think we need something like that. Yeah. Joe Biden cannot be in charge of making decisions and about whether or not this country Brent, is the world. Brent, Brent and I will take it even further, I think, because I know Brent's going to agree with me here. And we should have a freaking mandatory psychopathy checklist freaking test up in this bitch. Like, do you have brain a scan. conscience? Do you brain have a con Yes, a brain scan. Like, we're going to put electrodes on your brain and we're going to flash emotional words and non-emotional words in yep. front of you. And we're going to read if your brain is actually registering the full range of human emotions. And if you're not, sorry, you, can't be you president. don't get the job. No, can't have their job. <laughs> you don't get the job. Let's, let's make that mandatory. Mandatory electrodes brain scan to make sure you feel. Look, if you're colorblind, you can't be a pilot, right? Yeah. If you're a psychopath, you cannot be a president, a yes. senator, you or can't public, be uh, in charge of. You can't, can't be in charge of charge. millions yeah. of other people yes. and public policy. Let's do yeah, it. This I, is basic. I would not let Joe Biden decide what kind of ice cream he wants served to him, let alone run the country for heaven's sake. <laughs> you know, don't don't give him the nuclear codes. He might think that's sprinkles to put on top of his soft serve. You know. <laughs> Who knows what you know, say what you want about you know, like the, the way that America is, but you know the president is just such a, like it's it's always like a reflection of sort of like the status of the country. Yeah, like, like Joe Biden is this like ailing old decrepit child molesting. So like it's like the, the alleged, same thing alleged allegedly. Allegedly, yeah, the well, same the same way that the British monarchy is symbolic of Britain. Yes, our presidency, you know, our office of president has a similar sort of symbolic role, although yes. more power than, you know, than the monarchy does now. But it serves a similar role as what royalty served for previous countries and civilizations yeah. and stuff. But yeah. there, there was always a fear that that would happen, though. The founding fathers were afraid that that would happen. That was actually part of the reason George Washington stepped back from the role, because yeah. he, he didn't want. To that position to become something that eventually was looked at as the equivalent of a king. Yeah. So there was a lot of concern over over that from the founding fathers. Yeah. And, like and, an interesting debate over what they were going to call the president too. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like somebody a- Adam was like thinking King, and they were like, "No, yeah. yes." <laughs> was like, Adam, dude, we, we literally just got rid of that. <laughs> Adams came up with this elaborate title, which was a reflection of all those years he'd spent diplomatically in Europe yeah. between the Declaration, the adoption of the Constitution, and finally the Congress said, "No, nah, we're just going to call him Mr. President." Yeah. So That's I wanted it. to bring. I said earlier I want to bring up Adams. A, Bit. And I'm going to bring him up here because you brought him up again. But I want to ask what you thought of him and in regards to like some of his flaws, you know, because I also would, I guess, consider Adams one of my favorite presidents in the sense that I find him just to be a fascinating man, fascinating character. But man, the Alien and Sedition Acts were such oh, yeah. a fucking stain on that guy. Yeah. It's like, how did this guy who had such principles that he defended the British soldiers during the Boston Massacre end up later trying to silence his political enemies and go against all the you know principles that they established. It's, it sucks, you know, because you want to like really totally praise him. Just go yeah. you know, watch, watch yeah. yourself as you age yeah. and make sure you cultivate, you know, yeah. you maintain your values. Yes. And you don't yeah. get, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, for me. the thing you hate. Yeah, well, and and you could literally say that's what happened to Adams. It's like Mm -hmm. for a man so well-educated and self-educated in large part and so well-read and such a defender of liberty to go over the line in the early days of the American Republic with the intention of defending the country against foreign influence – and it's been a long time since I've looked at the, the reasons behind the Alien and Sedition Acts. But, you know, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm a, Adams is one of my heroes, but this is one of those moments where I just yeah. got to look at the guy and go, you royally effed this one up. You, you, you also, you have to note just how ironic and funny it is yeah. that, that it may have been Benjamin Franklin's grandson who prompted him to even pass yeah. Was like yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Benjamin Franklin Bosch. I think that's how you say his name. I believe that. Yeah, that's right. So I pulled up his Wikipedia now, just for those who don't know. Um, he was a journalist, printer, publisher, and he founded what was called the Philadelphia Aurora, and it was a newspaper that supported the Jeffersonian philosophy. Um, yeah. He frequently attacked the Federalists, and, mm-hmm. and he criticized George Washington heavily, and he also criticized Adams heavily. Um, this one guy called him, said that no editor did more to politicize the press in the 1790s than Benjamin Franklin Bosch. Um, yeah. They think some of his heated attacks in his paper is part of what inspired the Alien and Sedition Acts. But it's just it's so funny that this grandson who inherited the printing press and materials from Benjamin Franklin yeah. used that printing press and materials to attack Franklin's friend adams as president and actually do the thing that like to carry out the principles that those people found it yeah and 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 it, and and keep in mind you know for for those who are watching this i mean at, when when adams was president the federalists his party had control of the house mm-hmm. and had control of the senate and they weren't going to let the leader of their party be attacked even though there were elements inside the federalists party that were loyal to Alexander Hamilton more so than they were to John Adams. And it was very easy for Adams to get this push through. And, you know, and it, um, it gave Jefferson and Madison who were working together at the time, the fuel 
to throw on the fire and claim monarchist. He's a, he's anti-freedom. He's anti-liberty. He's trying to suppress speech. And with that and a few other things that happened, Jefferson rolled into power in 1800 and his uh, Jeffersonian Democrats with him. Mm-hmm. And they took both houses of the Congress. They took the presidency and the Federalists were on their way out. They never, to the best of my memory, they never saw the presidency again. You know, and then yeah, the, the, the party that Jefferson founded became the modern day Democrats and mm-hmm. away we go. So, but yeah, Adams absolutely, he rude the day he ever signed those two into law. Yeah. He dropped the ball on that one. It's like, oh, he did. Yeah. He did. We I mean, all make mistakes, and as you as you get yeah. older and you accrue more power unto yourself, the bigger possibility for mistakes yeah. that you can make. Yeah, I mean, despite that, though, still a fascinating figure, still oh. a brilliant man, without a doubt. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, 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 by, and, and by the way, for people who really want a really good flavor for Adams, I recommend David McCullough's biography was written in the late 1990s and if you want to watch it on screen Paul Giamatti is brilliant so good absolutely brilliant as John like, in the HBO miniseries yes that's it that's the I, one I I like that miniseries although there are a lot of historical inaccuracies to it true. that I, I read about true. after while I was watching it I was looking up on Google okay is this true is this true is this true just to clarify yeah. Brent remembers this shit but ultimately, really good series. And oh, I think fantastic series! Costume wise, too, it really like captures. It really that gives is. you what it's like. You like really even down, even down to like the bad teeth and shit. You know, teeth, yeah, everything. Yeah. You really they get a sense of what life was like back then. Yeah, yeah. And Paul, Paul, Paul Giamatti did excellent in that role. I thought oh, and Laura and Laura Linney as Abigail Adams. She was yeah. brilliant. So yeah. Oh, yeah. they're they're both fantastic. Mm-hmm. On that note, I think we should wrap it up. We're already at almost wow, we're almost yeah. We should already. wrap it up. I was gonna only do like an hour, but this happens, you know, when the conversation. Is right, you're so like, easy to talk to. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm as gentle as a dove and sweet as sugar. If you spend enough sweet time around me, you'll find out both. Sweet, <laughs> sweet as southern tea. <laughs> Brian, tell everyone, remind them where they can find you. I have a YouTube channel. I have a channel on Rumble, and I I need to ask your listeners for a favor. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently, I'm just a hair short of 600 subscribers. I've got a goal between now and March 3rd of 2024, which is the one year anniversary of my channel going up and going live. I want to get to a thousand subscribers. For those of you who are fans of the dangerous rhetoric podcast, please go out to my channel on YouTube. Please go out to my channel on rumble. Please subscribe to both. I would love to have you as part of my audience. Click also, that button. Uh, yes, click that button. Share that thing. Give me that thumbs up. Um, I'm also on Twitter at the Front Porch C1. Uh, I am also on Getter. I'm also on Truth Social. So please feel free to come and join the party. I would love to have you as part of my audience and support these two fine fellows. Uh, believe me, the, these are some of the best wing nuts on the internet. So, <laughs> you know, by all means, help them out in any way you possibly can. We could definitely use it. This is a labor of love for us. Although it would be nice one day if it turns into like an income, but definitely not why Brent and I do it. 
Absolutely. We would have stopped a long time ago if we were doing this. <laughs> no, this money, is like you know? a quintessential part of what I am. Yeah. I like must like speak my big Italian mouth on the yeah. internet. That's like why I'm here. Well, YouTube. I, I also, it's not just speaking. I like listening too. I like the discourse. I like bringing other people on, like Brian, and just people who come from a different place, have a different story. Maybe there's enough shared values where we can sit down and talk like this, Absolutely. but is different enough where I'm going to learn something. You know, yeah, I, I believe the, the classical term that would be applied to you two is agent provocateurs. A little bit. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> no, just just provocateurs. I mean, we, provocateurs. Not the agent part. I mean, yeah. I don't like infiltrate a crowd and then yeah. start violence at a protest. We, we, we ain't working for anyone. But if anyone <laughs> no, wants to hire, no three-letter agencies in their background or current. So we'll. Yeah, you're right, gentlemen. Yeah. I apologize. These are provocateurs. Yeah, we're, we are provocateurs, but we're we're definitely on lists for those. Three letter agencies. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. oh man. Do? Oh boy. Everyone, thank you so much again for watching. Please remember like, comment, share, subscribe, help support us. Go follow Brian. Let's get his subscriber count up. And we'll be back again for another episode. Thank you for your patience with us. We know we've been scarce on the material. So we appreciate stay it. Stay safe. Stay safe. We love you. Bye bye. Have a good night.